Yeah, we've been we've been going through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians to learn essentially all about what the church is and what it's called to be over the last, um, I think this is week number seven, so it's been almost two months. Can you believe that? Incredible. Um, and we've seen uh, th- through the through the early parts of this letter that we are a co- that that the church is a, a group, a gathering of people who are called onto mission for God, and that mission is to bring unity to all things. Um, and that's that's the ministry of Jesus, and we're invited to participate in his ministry in the world. And that has all sorts of implications in terms of how we uh, engage with one another. The, in this in this church in Ephesus, it's a divi- there's a seems to be a division between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. That is, the people who historically have been called um, God's people and who are God's chosen people to bless all the nations uh, from and and using, and then the Gentiles who are the the non-Jewish people, which is a pretty big it's a pretty big category of people. <laughs> um, you know they they were at war with each other, at least in their thoughts and, and sometimes even in, in their, in their actions towards each other. And in Christ, we're told that even those types of divisions between people groups, um, disappear away. They, you, you still have the markers of them. Um, but the, the, the hatred of the, the enmity, the discord that might be between them gets, gets, uh, washed away by the blood of Christ as we enter into uh, God's family, so we're, t- we're, we're told that um, that we are a part of God's family, and anyone who comes to faith is a part of God's family. And so, as you, you keep on, I, I'm just I, I repeat these things to remind you of them, because this type of message that there is a place where we can experience unity of spirit where we can experience unity across all sorts of visible divisions uh, there's a place that that happens and it's called the church and it's a place where it should happen and, and to the extent that it doesn't we are not living into the reality of what the church should be and so things like like racism which continues to be um, a, a, a major conversation point in our culture right now has no place in the church. And in fact, the church should be the, the place where, where racism is snuffed out first because we're told that uh, different people of different kinds, of different, uh, of different ethnicities are all welcomed into God's family. And when that happens, we become brothers and sisters in Jesus. We become brothers and sisters. And so... We've seen that's that we've seen we've seen that at in at play throughout the early parts of this letter, really, as Paul lays a foundation for to be able to describe um, ethical parameters for how we are supposed to live. And last week we learned a little bit about different giftings in the church and how those giftings are meant for the building up of God's body, the church, and that the church has different unities that we have. Uh, this is this is in the early chapter. This is in the early verses of chapter four, that we have unity uh, of the spirit, 
through the bond of peace. We have a unity of body, that is Christ's body, the church. We have a unity of one spirit, the Holy Spirit. We were called with one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God the Father who is of all, who is over all, and through all, and it is in all. It's a bit of a mouthful, but we have this profound unity together uh, around all of those things, and that becomes what the, the most important core of our faith um, is. Today, now, Paul is moving from some of these um, from some of these higher level theological thoughts that were really important to lay to lay the groundwork for the rest of what he's about to say, but he's he's going from those high level thoughts to then what does this actually look like in practice in this in this next section of this book or of this letter? So we're we're taking a look today at Ephesians four verse seventeen through to about chapter five verse two will say. Um, and so I'm going to read it, and then we'll and then we'll make some notes about it. And I'm going to read it in chunks. And so the, let's take a look at the first chunk. We'll notice that Paul breaks this his argument up that he's that he's going to make here into sections of 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 um, before you became a Christian, before you followed Jesus, and then after you followed Jesus. And he builds the he builds an argument of you used to be this way, and now you're 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 this way, and you are supposed to be living this way. And so he starts out with our former selves, in Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse seventeen. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have been given over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, if, you're th if, if, if you read this and think, okay, Gentiles are anyone who isn't a believer... This has a bit of a bite to it, doesn't it? Gentiles are anyone who isn't a believer, or anyone who isn't in the family of God, those outside of God's family. They're they have futile in the they're futile in their thinking, darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God, ignorant um, of of God's life. They have hard hearts, they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality and indulge in impurity and are full of greed. Now, does that describe any any non-Christian that you know? And if you said that phrase, if you if you called your non-Christian friends all of these things, what do you think the response would be? You can type it in. The, you can type it in the chat if if it's appropriate. But um, uh, I, I I'm I'm willing to bet many of you have friends who would who would not respond well. And we can safely assume that the same is true in the ancient world as well. If Gentile people were reading this letter, chances are they would, at this point, be radically insulted, profoundly insulted by what Paul is saying. But, of course, he's not saying that all Gentiles are, are, um, are unethical or that none of them are... are um, 
do good things in the world. But what he is saying, he's laying a, a theological foundation uh, for understanding our life in Jesus. And he's saying, when we are separated from God, when we choose to be to to ignore God uh, at work in the world, it hardens our heart. He says, and that leads to certain um, to certain things happening that are that are that are necessary consequences of that. We get um, we get futile in our thinking. We become hard hearted, and uh, and and it leads us to having a loss of sensitivity. This text says, um, which which depending on how you translate it i, I think the uh, another way of translating it is 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 dead to feeling that that they don't feel anything and that they indulge in you indulge in unholiness that is um that has a that has a, a ceremonial and an ethical component to it and greed is never being satisfied with what we have and i think this is just true of people who are not in jesus that that we can it just from just try to think back to before you were a Christian, if you're able to, and what your life looked like. Uh, a loss of feeling, or dead dead to feeling, a loss of sensitivity to others, which often is a loss of compassion for others, is um, is I think a, a general description. And, and compassion in the Christian tradition means self sacrifice. Uh, it leads it leads towards self-sacrifice um indulging in an unholiness that is living uh in a way that is opposite of the way that god teaches us how to live and never satisfied with what we have that is that's our culture our culture teaches us that we should never be satisfied with what we have we should always be aiming for more we should get more money we should get more possessions we should get more and more and more and more but paul is saying here that these that the the, that the way of being gentile is the opposite of living as a christian so he's he's creating a he's he's creating this this polemic and he's, he starts out with this great phrase, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. I insist on it in the Lord. He's essentially saying, I insist on it in front of Jesus as my witness that you should be living this way. This is really important for us to get a handle on because um. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that Christians can live exactly how Paul is describing here. And we can actually live as though we're separated from God because we get into the habit of our culture that we're in if we're not careful. And our culture teaches us to ignore God um, in, in little ways and in big ways throughout our lives. And this is what Paul is, is warning them about being darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's a uh, a complicated sentence, but the, these phrases are all used in other parts of scripture. The hardening of people's hearts, um, like like Pharaoh in the in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh hardens his heart first because he chooses to ignore 
God's presence and active work in the life of the Israelites. And then after a certain time, God solidifies that hardened heart and lets, lets the sin of Pharaoh work its way out into the world. Ignorance is willful when it comes to belief in God and coming to trust in God. It's willful. And the more we do it, the harder our heart gets. Evidence of our creator, it tells us in Romans 1, is everywhere. So that we, our ignorance is only so far, we can only have so many excuses to be able to say that God isn't present or isn't here. The reality is that we often ignore evidence that actually requires us to act. And the more actively we ignore it, or the more actively we don't see it, the more we will continue to ignore it and won't see it. And eventually getting to the point where we're going to need a miraculous divine intervention. All of this is to say, I think, that what we think will shape how we act and the condition of our heart will follow. How we think will shape how we act and the condition of our heart will follow. And so if we lose feeling, if we have a loss of sensitivity, if we become dead to feeling and dead to feeling the life of God in us and through us, and we begin to act unholily, unethically, if we act with impurity, we will never be satisfied with what we have and will just want more. Paul says, do not live like this. Do not live like this. He says instead, verse 20, you, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here we get to the, the central argument that Paul's making. He says, do not live in the way that the Gentiles do, in the way that you used to. Instead, Live like you were taught to live when you first heard about Christ, when you first learned the truth that is in Jesus. And the truth that is in him, well, you're, you're, this is the, the, the phrasing here is actually really interesting. Um, when you heard about Christ, when you were taught in him, when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. It's, it's, I think, suggesting, uh, I think that, that in him, that you were taught in him is, is to say that you were taught in the church. You were taught in relationship with Jesus. And when you're in relationship with Jesus, you're in relationship with other people who are in relationship with Jesus. Uh, we learn about Jesus and we learn how to follow Jesus in community with other people, being able to talk things through, being able to pray with each other, being able to, to say, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm thinking about, these are the, the decisions that I'm being faced with at work or at home, um, and, and walking through what does it mean to live like 
a Jesus person in all of these things? What does it mean to walk as a Christian into different situations? Paul says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. He, start, he starts out, you know, the, the thing that you need first is, a, is an attitude adjustment, is a change in your mind, because your mind will shape how you act, and the condition of your heart is going to follow. So we see throughout Scripture, we see it in Romans uh, as well, in Romans 12, that the Holy Spirit renews our mind, transforms our mind, and that transformed mind is what brings us to acting in the way that Jesus would have us act, and that sets the condition of our heart either towards God or away from God. He says, take off your old deceitful desires, be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Take off your old self, put on your new self. This is getting to a really important truth for us that um, that we have been given a brand new identity, that we are being made, uh, that we have a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, that, that we are in Christ, are, are called to be certain types of people. Um, and we're told to take off, it's using this metaphor, of, the clothing metaphor, to take off our old self and to put on this new self created to be, uh, to be perfectly holy and righteous. We're already incorporated into God's uh, to God's family, to Christ's body by faith. We already are participants in this body, so to speak. And we've participated in Christ's death and resurrection through baptism, the one baptism that, that unifies us. And so we're told, live according to the life that is in us, this new life of Jesus. But this new life is not realized fully until Christ returns. This new life isn't, isn't fully realized in us uh, probably it, within our lifetimes, it may not. But we pray that Jesus would come soon. Until then, until the day that Jesus comes, our struggle every day, Paul, I think, is inferring, is that we are to take off the old and put on the new. Take off the old, put on the new. And this is not easy. This is a struggle. This is something where every day we wake up, we have to decide what part of my old self is still here and take it off and put on instead this, the, the clothing of righteousness and the identity of righteousness that Jesus has given us. And this is where it gets really practical for Paul. He goes on from here to describe exactly what this means in practice. And so let's read the, the last couple of verses here. <laughs> Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We see Paul describing a whole bunch of old self ways and a whole bunch of new self ways. And we're told to take off the old and put on the new. So if you work through the passage and list them out, we see that Paul says, um, says these things. Actually, I'll put them up on the screen here. Uh, here we go. That the old that Paul describes is false speech, anger, and that anger is especially in our speech. And he, he gives a warning that anger, if we leave it to fester, will destroy our heart. What we think shapes how we act and the condition of our heart will surely follow. And anger is one of those things that that is that is both a thought and an action almost at the same time. That it's really difficult to be angry in your mind and not be angry in your in, in, in how you act. And so he says it's really dangerous. You need to be careful with it. In your anger, do not sin. You're going to be angry. But when you are, get rid of it. Get rid of it as quickly as possible because it's dangerous. It's your old self. False speech, anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, and malice. Interestingly, notice how much of these old selves and, and, and the corresponding new have to do with speech. How we talk to each other is really important in the body of Christ. We're told, move from false speech to truthful speech. Get rid of anger and don't speak in anger to others. Um, this, is, this isn't speech, but we're told to put off stealing and to, to now work with our hands to be productive so that we have things to share with others, That's, which is interesting, right? We're, we're told, don't steal... Instead, uh, instead, do productive work that will allow you to be generous. So instead of stealing, you're giving. We're told, don't have unwholesome talk. Instead, have talk that builds up. And get rid of bitterness and rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. And instead, replace it with kindness, forgiveness, and compassion. And I have another translation here that I think is is really interesting. Um, I, I actually I actually like this translation a little bit better because it it brings out some of this language stuff that that we see here. Um, this is um, the com that what is this? The Christian Standard Bible. <laughs> it's my it's my study Bible. But this is how it translates this passage. Therefore, putting away lying. Do not lie. It's not just falsehood, it's, it's lying. 
Even those little white lines that we think, ah, oh, this one's not important. We can get by with this. No. Paul says, be truthful. Speak the truth even to one's, to each, it, it, speak the truth each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. We are members of Christ's body and Christ's body lying to itself is sort of akin to a neurological disorder where the body will not be able to function because um, because if if you're if if the brain tries to tell the hand something and the hand can't move, that's not a good thing. It's it's a sign of something happening in in the body. The body's lying to to the the different parts of the body are lying to each other. He says, "Don't be like that. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief." No longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another just as christ also forgave you in christ and these things taking them off and putting the new things on is a daily occurrence i don't think i i think many of us expect that when we come to jesus it's going to be like this big huge powerful moment that's going to totally transform us completely and we'll never struggle with sin again and that's just not how it works the Holy Spirit slowly but surely working in us and with us transforms our minds that will lead us to different ways of living that will transform our hearts. And we have to choose every single day to take off parts of our old self and to replace that those taken off parts with parts of our new self. This is not always how the church works. And, and sometimes this is not how we work either. This is not how we think about things. Um, and sometimes I think we can, we can sort of get into the mode of, of thinking, well, I can keep the old self on, but I'll just put on this other new self on top of it. And we get double clothing up. But, um, with, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever tried to, to wear multiple pieces of clothing at once. It's uncomfortable after a while and you can't live, uh, you, you can't live very well. And if, if it's warm out. It's awful, right? It's just not, it's not a livable situation for anyone. We're told don't put on two pairs of clothing. Don't put on your old self and then put on the new self on top of it. That's ridiculous. But also don't take off your old self and put nothing else on. We're not called to be people who wear double clothing. We're not called to be people who are, who are metaphorically naked. Um, especially in terms of ethics, because that just means that we'll do whatever we feel like it at the time. But we're already told that our desires shift us away from God in a number of different ways. Instead, we're told, take off the old, put on the new uh, as a daily occurrence. And I think that there are always some things that we often struggle with more than others. I'm going to confess to you, the one that I struggle with the most is in verse 29, no foul language should come from come out of your mouth. This is something that Jess and I work on. I know um, this is something that I, that I ask a, 
a long time ago, I asked Cindy to call me on it, and she does. Um, if she hears it, she's been really faithful with it. Thank you, Cindy. I know you're you're listening in. Um, and and other friends of mine, I've asked about this to because this is the part of the old self that I that I feel like I'll take it off for a day, and then and then it grows back almost, and I have to take it off again, and it grows back. I take it off again and put on Jesus, and remind this. Okay, this is this is what it means to to be a Christian is not to use language that destroys people, but to use language that builds them up with the goal of building them up with the goal of building them up. And that's really all of these different aspects of language that this passage is describing. I think we can come back to is the language that we're using going to tear people down or is it meant to build them up? Lying tears down. It just tears down in secret, but it's still tearing down. Unwholesome talk tears down. Anger tears down. Um, slander and malice and bitterness, all these things tear down. But um, wholesome talk will build up. Kindness builds up. Forgiveness builds up. Compassion builds up. And the, the thing that ties them all together in, in these categories of old and new are that the old are all self-centered and the new are all God-centered. They're all asking the question, what, what kind of person does God want me to be? And the answer is, he wants you to be a loving person. A person building others up in him. Uh, which means that these God-centered ideals are also love-centered and and Paul gets to this in this final part of this chapter. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave uh, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <clears throat> the way of love is the way of the cross and the way of the cross is sacrificial love for others, even unto death. Um, I think we, we expect love to be easy. And I think that's because our culture has said that love is a feeling that happens to you. But scripture says love is not a feeling that happens to you. Love is a day-by-day -day choice that you make, which means it's something that you do. It doesn't happen to you. You do it. Which means it's difficult. It's going to be hard. Loving others is not easy. Sometimes it is, but generally speaking, it is not easy. And we know this because of the cross. The way of the cross for Jesus was intensely difficult. And yet that's what love's look, love looks like. It looks like a, a an innocent man bearing a cross, marching towards his death for the sake of others. But as members of Christ's body, with the Holy Spirit transforming our minds, the way of love, the way of the cross, can become so much easier. And this is part of the purpose of the church, is to spur one another on towards walking in the way of love walking in the way that Jesus walked before us and that we are called 
to imitate. Um, my prayer for you this morning is this, that you would every day this week move from self-centered living to God-centered living, and that, that, um, that the Spirit would be at work transforming your mind and spurring you on to help others be spurred on in walking the way of love together. Um, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your word, and I thank you uh, that I thank you that your word uh, convicts. I thank you that your word is a double-edged sword that is able to do surgery on us, and I thank you that you wield it this way for us. Um, cutting off of these old self parts and putting in the new. I pray, Father, that you would empower us by your spirit to have transformed minds, to be able just to notice these old self ways that are still on us that you are saying to take off. And, and Father, help us to take these things off that are described in this passage and others like it, any form of malice, untruthful speech, um, help us to take it off, foul language, unwholesome talk. Help us, Father, to, to remove any bitterness in us or rage or anger or slander, gossip, and instead replace them, Father, with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And help us to, to take these things off and put those, those three on, bound together by love. Holy Spirit, we know that you are at work, that you're at work in us, and that you want to transform us. And so we yield to your presence in us to be, to be transformed into the kinds of people you, you want us to be. People who follow God's example as dearly loved children, walking in the way of love just, just as Christ loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.